Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Well, good morning, guys. Would you grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians? This is a letter that Paul the Apostle was writing to the church at Corinth. Now, for those of you that know some Bible history, a little bit about the area, Corinth was a port city that in its day was about the third in size of Roman power populations. And you had Rome. Philippi was supposed to be the second largest Roman inhabited city. And then Corinth following close behind. But Corinth being on a port, a lot of sailors coming in, going out. They had um, situations with uh, brothels and pubs and drinking and in the day, if you were to call someone a Corinthian, it was not a compliment. They were known around the world as basically, we would say, the Las Vegas of the ancient world. The place to go have parties and what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Didn't really stay in Corinth because it actually spread through the shipping lanes because of Corinth. So Corinth actually had a notoriety, but not for good. Would you call that a spiritually bright place? Like, hey, let's go there. It's like spiritual revivals happening. Let's go hang out in the darkness with all the sin. It's amazing to me that the Lord put a church to be a light, a group of believers to shine for him. The ironic thing is, is that when it's really dark, all you need is just a little bit of light, and it makes such a difference. Last night, our dear sister Moshe, she invited me to Halualoa. She does the therapy massage for a lot of the athletes, and she said, oh, I saw on your post that you fixed Jan's oven and you were in this weird position. And Mo says, she saw the post that my wife wrote and she said, you might need help tomorrow because Jan wrote she was rubbing my back. And Mo says, come up to the clinic. Well, I went up. She worked on my back. But she said, come. And it, it was already late. I got in before it was dark. But if you've ever been up Hualoa at night, after the sun sets and it gets dark, by the time we come out, it was like 8 o'clock, it was black. And I'm like, Hi. Mo's been there, but she's like walking like little steps. So I go, and on my keys, I have this really big light. It's like one of these ones, it barely glows, but it can let you see the keyhole on the car door. Because have you ever had that trouble in the dark, trying to get this key in this little hole and you cannot see? It's amazing that a little bit of light in a lot of dark makes it like you can see. I didn't even know this would work. I thought this was just for getting the key in the hole. And I'm like lighting a circle about this big. I'm holding up here. I'm going, Mo, I got us. Step next to me. Come on. And we go out to the car. And I'm thinking, wow, it's such a small light. But when it's real dark, it's amazing how just a little light can light the way. And Corinth spiritually was like, Dark Kaluoloa, no streetlights. Spiritually, they were hurting. And the Lord put this little church of believers in this city port where all the sin was going on. God had a plan to use these people. A plan to let them be a light to their community. Now, if you know anything about the Church of Corinth, did it have perfect people and super bright lights? No. These were a lot of new converts. A lot of problems came from a lot of diverse backgrounds. The main reason he's writing is to address a lot of the problems that are going on. He hears about adulteries and fornications going on in the church, and they're saying it's okay. They're in this free love society kind of thing, and 
And he's going, but that's not to be named in the church. That could be what they're doing in the brothel down the street, but that's not for the church. And so he's got to deal with some of these situations. But I want to show you this morning, before we get to the words that he speaks to them about the problems, he leads off with something that is probably read past the most and unfortunately overlooked because it has the most power. In his greeting alone, there is more theological soundness and strengthening. you got to remember, these are new Christians, weak, little lights. They need some encouraging words to help them to shine bright in that dark place. And so the Lord has Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost, write these words. Let's look at this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read here in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Now, this is one of the things Paul's intros to 12 of the epistles we have from him. Some guys debate 13. They say he collaborated on Hebrews, but I mean, it's a pretty good amount. 12 out of 27 books of the New Testament go to this guy. But he got a lot of headache. How come you get to be the apostle? Who made you a guy that's speaking for God? And you know what his answer was? He didn't say, oh, um, this church organization over here gave me one certificate and now I'm a preacher. He said, the one who gave him the nod was God. He says right here, by the will of God, I was made an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, apostle means one who is sent. Literally translated across, it is sent one. Who sent him? Jesus. Remember when he was out there killing the Christians? Had the letter from the chief scribes and Pharisees. And they gave him the power and authority from them to go arrest anyone that belonged to this Christianity thing. This new movement, the way they called it. And he was getting them arrested and beaten and thrown in prison. Until the Lord went and smacked him on the back of the head and said, Saul, Saul, why dost thou persecute me? And he came back with, uh, who art thou, Lord, that I might serve thee? And he said, I'm Jesus. And then he showed him what he was going to suffer. For his namesake. And I know that in that three days, Jesus explained to him in depth the things of the cross. The things that Paul, even though he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he said it's a mystery, this mystery of salvation. It was right in front of him. It's funny how sometimes the truth is right in front of us and we can't see it until God illuminates our understanding. We can have it staring us right in the face and we're going, I don't get it. It's like calculus. I know, because I used to tutor people in calculus, and they used to just look at me with that deer in headlight look. Huh? Don't you see the derivative goes with this? This way. I see a bunch of numbers on a page with a bunch of symbols. I don't know what it means. You know, you can have it right in front of you. It doesn't mean you get it. And Paul, he's like, I had the gospel. The mystery of salvation was right in front of me. But I didn't get it. Until Jesus came, and he revealed himself to me. Then the light was turned on. Then the understanding came. And then his calling came from Jesus. Jesus showed him that he was the way and said, Now, Paul, you're no longer Saul. We're going to call you Paul. Now I'm going to use you. And this guy who God called to be one that he sent by his son, he said it was by God's will. Not by man's, because I don't think men would have ever come up with this idea. Take the guy who's the chief persecutor of the faith, the chief guy out getting Christians killed, and make him the preacher. We usually think, we got one bad guy coming against the church. Kill him. Bad enemy. Take him out, Lord. But 
in the Lord, I realized God didn't do that with one of the worst enemies of the cross. I wouldn't even thought of this. Instead of wiping the guy out, which would have been just like too easy, he says, I'm going to put him on our team. Not just on our team, but like one of the captains. And I'm going to put him in the front of the line, and he's going to get a lot of beatings. I mean, he gave a lot of beatings, but he's going to get a lot of beatings. And do you guys know that in the book of Acts it records that the Lord actually told Paul, this is what you're going to suffer. Just going out the gate, you persecuted the Christian, you're going to suffer. Now, I find it amazing. This guy didn't say, okay, forget it. Sounds too rough. He just knew going in, he's going to suffer. But he knew his calling was from God. It was God's will, not his, not man's. It was God. And so then he writes to this church. He says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those that have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who are in every place that call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, we're all in the same family, he says, you guys, to you I'm writing, to the church of God. Now, he says very clearly, the, the church of God isn't a building. You see that right there? It doesn't say, to the church of Corinth, which is at such and such address. No, he said, to the church of God, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Saints, saint means believers. Believers by calling. The Bible says that unless God draws a man by his spirit. No man actually can be saved. It's not a work we did. It's a work he completed through his son. And he took care of calling us to him. And all we did was hear that call. Our spirit went, wow, someone's calling me. And you know the ironic thing is you never have to hard sell God's calling in someone's life because they know inside. They're like, I know God's trying to get me to straighten up. Why do they always tell me that anyway? Pastor, could I talk to you for a minute? I got a little problem. What's, what's the problem? Well, I know God doesn't want me to do this anymore. And I, I mean, I've been doing it for a long time. And I feel like he's telling me to stop doing that and start walking on the right path. Come follow him and just live like I'm supposed to. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I think I should probably do that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's been really great talking to you, Pastor. I feel so much better. I think I'm going to go do it now. I didn't really have to do nothing. Because... The Spirit of God was calling them to do what he was telling them to do in the first. Sometimes all we have to do is have someone say, yep, do it. We short sell God if we think it's like up to us pastors to make people understand their calling. That's wrong. The one doing the calling is God. And it's by his Spirit. And his Spirit does a much better job than I could. Because if I was calling and you weren't answering, I'd be like, hey, wake up. But the Lord, he's just like gentle with some people. Some people, he's got to get a little bit rough with them. Anyone besides me get a rough wake-up call? Now, all you ones have got a nice little, hello, this is the Lord. And you went, oh, God, nice to hear from you. You are blessed. Man, don't ever think that's bad. That means your heart is soft and good and praise the Lord. Some of us, you had to get rid of some rocks in the soil and pull some weeds, get the rototiller, grind that thing and flip it. In my heart, there was a lot of rock removal. There was a lot of sin that he had to work through. He had to get that out. And you know, the nice thing about the Lord is he knew what I could handle. He was patient, like a farmer. He just knew the right season to do every part, to just work with me and work that soil over so that his word could come into my heart and grow like a good seed. And produce a good crop. But 
He's the one that did the work. He's been faithful from the beginning. And we would just share with people how faithful God is. To the church that's in this really dark place, who are believers, Paul says, that are called by Christ Jesus. And he also said sanctified. Now, if you don't know what sanctified means, it's from the Greek. In their culture, they had polytheistic society. Many gods. Poly is many. Theistic is theo is many god. They had many gods. Belief in many gods. They had like Hermes, Zeus, Apollos. And what they would do, if you had some wealth, just picture in your mind one of those Grecian houses with the columns in the front, big pillars, and then you go into the foyer area, and there's some nice more big pillars and a big open area. That's like the reception area. And if you were really wealthy, you had a large reception area that you came into. And in the middle, in the prominent center back of the greeting area, was called the pillar of sanctification. It wasn't a pillar to hold up anything of the house. It wasn't like a support column. But it looked like a support column in its fanciness. I mean, it was usually one of the most ornate pillars, carved beautifully, and it was basically a pedestal that was designed to sit to display something. It was whatever carving of whatever deity you esteemed to be your favorite god. If you had a bust of Apollo sitting there, Zeus, whatever you had, as soon as the people walked in, they saw which one you had, they knew your spiritual inclinations. Now, it didn't mean you didn't believe there were, weren't other gods. It's just the one that you thought was the most important. The one that you identified with, the one that you worshipped. You get to choose. Interesting. So Paul says, to those that have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, those that have been set up on this really special place, this pillar. Now this is the very same word Paul uses when he writes to the church at Ephesus. Those of you guys that are married, pay attention. Because it tells us in the book of Ephesians, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave his life for her, right? And he goes on and he tells instructions to us men. That we are to love like Jesus loved the church. And Christ sanctified the church. And husbands, you have to sanctify your wives. You have to present her like Christ did. No spot, no wrinkle, nor any such thing that she should be holy and blameless. When you guys talk about your wives, you better not be going, yeah, she burnt my toast and she did this wrong and she's terrible. And That's not presenting her with no spot, no wrinkle, nor any such thing. That's telling every crumb and bad thing. You don't do that. Because does Christ do that for us? No. He takes our flaws and he washes them away. He cleanses us of them. And that's what husbands are to do for their wives. And the word sanctify, when Paul is saying, now you husbands, you have to sanctify your wife the way Christ sanctified the church. It's interesting. Paul actually uses this very Greek word to take the bride and put her on that pedestal. But that pedestal has significance because that pedestal can only hold one statue. In their culture, you couldn't say, well, I'm into Hermes, but I also like Paulos, and throw in Zeus too. But let me crowd the little thing with a bunch of little statues. No, one, pick one. Paul says that the church is the bride of Christ, and Christ put his church on that pillar. How special are we? Okay, now they're in a dark place. Do they know the culture that when he says you are sanctified, by Christ? Do they know this word? You know, he's got to talk about problems they have and stuff. But before he goes there, 
he tells them their position in Christ. And their position in Christ is a very special one. It's a very secure position. It's a very great place to be as a Christian to know Jesus says, you, you're right here on the top shelf. You know that he placed us there. Now, collectively, we're called the bride of Christ. That's a very special place to be. And Paul says, to that church at Corinth, not a building, but the very people that have been sanctified, set apart by Christ, and they are saints by calling. In every place, call on the name of the Lord. He's explaining to them theologically, you're not the only group of Christians. I'm writing to you guys, but with all those in every place that call on the name of the Lord. I hate this about our Christian experience today that has become so fractioned into different denominations and non-denominations. And What group are you in? Are you in this group or are you in that group? Well, let me read you a little further in this chapter and I'm going to show you they had the same problem. So Paul, he's trying to explain, we're just all part of the bigger collective, the bride of Christ. There's believers in every church. Don't think we have them all, right? We're the special group. If anyone starts acting like we're the special group, we're the only group, if you ever start hearing talk like that, you're at a church, run. God has his church throughout the whole of the world to be lights wherever he has placed us. And so Paul goes on and he greets them now. Verse 3, grace, cherish in the Greek, and peace. The Greeks were really, we know that we have a body, we have a mind, we have a spirit. They were very intellectual. So when you said, peace be to you, they were like, peace to my body, peace to my mind, peace to my spirit. In Hebrew, they would say shalom, which is God's peace. Well, I mean, hey, if you got God's peace, God's peace to you. Jew, you greet a Jew, shalom, and you say goodbye, shalom, shalom. Peace, peace, God's peace. As you go, God's peace as you come. So he greets them. The Siamese twins, we call this in, in Bible school of the New Testament. Grace and peace to the Gentiles. Grace, that was their greeting, cherish. And to the Jew, shalom, peace. He says to you guys, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus. Now I thank God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech, in all knowledge, even as a testimony concerning Christ and what was confirmed in you, so that you're not lacking any gift. You're awaiting eagerly the very revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You guys have gifts. You have everything that Christ has given to enrich us. I've heard the speech that you have from the Lord, the knowledge that he gives. Now, knowledge is a big deal in Greek culture, okay? You have to understand, when he's saying, I recognize God has given you knowledge, knowledge of him. He's commending them. And you're waiting eagerly for the revelation of his son. That day when he will come again, that he'll be revealed, and he will confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to confirm you to the end. But Paul says, you guys have been confirmed to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord. Who's doing the confirmation here? Who's the one that's doing the work? Jesus. He's like, the Lord Jesus is the one at work in you. This is a really good way to deal with people if they're having a little bit of difficulties. Don't lead in with, you're screwed up. I say this because that's how I used to lead in. It didn't work too well. Start off with, 
You have a calling by God and He's called you to be sanctified as a believer by His will and He's going to confirm you to the end. Do the Philippians. The He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Start off with stuff like that. Because we all need to be reminded that we're just works in progress. Before you go and jump down the throat of somebody about their problem that you perceive, I always joke about this because sometimes Christians are going, that guy has such a problem with this. Have you heard him? I think, I wonder what they would have thought of me if they would have met me years ago. To me, that's like small potatoes. That's like surfacey stuff. God was going deep, digging out some big rocks inside of problems down in the heart. He wasn't even touching the swearing stuff yet. That was going to come later. You know, the Bible says what comes out of a man's mouth comes from the heart. Some people go, Pastor, did you know you have an elder? And he swore the other day. I heard him. Yep, we were in that church. He's got a truck driver's mouth. And I'm thinking, you think that's a big problem, don't you? But see, I've been talking to that brother, and God's dealing with him on a lot of other issues. And God's working on his heart. I just say, leave room. God is doing the work. Now, Paul recognized that God was at work in this little church that's in a dark place, and he's going to confirm them. He's telling them, don't worry. You're eagerly awaiting for the revelation of Jesus, and God's work is going to confirm you to the end. God is going to get you through to the finish line. Why don't we start with that when we see someone struggling? Because we want to slam them for what we see wrong, right? Instead of encourage them that there's a big God who's going to help them make it. Well, I don't even know if I should go to the problem that he has to address. Look at verse 9. He says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. Before we talk about your problem, let's talk about God's faithfulness. It really does put things in perspective, doesn't it? When we recognize how big a God we have and how faithful He is. His mercies are new every morning and great is His faithfulness. Every single day He's there for us. So Paul turns their attention to Him. And that's what we should do. By the way, I think there's a lot of wisdom here. Before ever dealing with the problem, you've got to point to the one who solves the problems. You've got to get their focus on the answer to the problem. Don't start with the problem. Start with the answer to the problem. The problems then, they become small potato. There's not a big problem then because we've got a really big problem solver. And that's what he did for my more studious Bible students ones that have read the scriptures over and over. I've got a few good Bible students here. I challenge you to go look at Paul's letters and see how often he starts off his letter with this approach. Always pointing heavenward first before ever addressing anything down here. Now what if we did that with all the people we have to deal with with problems? What if we really said, you know, it's a good thing we're all just works in progress. Good thing we got a really faithful God. A God who loves us so much, he sanctified us. I mean, we're like up here. He says he's faithful, and we're just waiting for his son to be revealed, and he's going to confirm us to the end. He's so good at his job, he's going to get us to the finish line. Isn't that great news? I know, oh, by the way, there's a little problem. But we got a really big problem solver. I don't know. You want to talk about the problem? It's not that big a deal now. 
Because most of the Christians lead in with, this is a big problem. And they forgot the problem solver. Paul doesn't do that. Paul recognizes God called him, and there's a very big problem solver. And let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that the scriptures bring us. Lord, that you would love this church in a place that was so filled with wickedness and you would put in the heart of the Apostle Paul to write these words to encourage their faith. Lord, I pray these words would sink into our heart that we could receive the things that would strengthen our faith from your holy scriptures and it would truly bring us closer to you. I pray for each person here as we go this week, you would just let the part that spoke to them just carry with them, Lord, that they could treasure it in their heart and continue to grow in their walk with you. Thanks for being our great problem solver. Thanks for sanctifying us, for loving us, for forgiving us, Lord, and for giving us your spirit. Fill us now with your spirit to overflowing as we go from this place, Lord. May your spirit give us strength. I pray you just pour out your strength upon us as we wait on you and we prepare to go forward in this week. We ask it in Christ's name. And everyone that agrees said, Amen. Amen. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the big island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at amazinggracekona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.